So today's reading is from Leviticus chapter 16, and we're starting from verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. And then we're going to jump ahead to verse 29. And it shall be a statue for you, to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourself and shall do no work, either the na native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourself. It is a statue forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing a holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of the meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statue forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in a year because of all their sins. And Aaron did at the Lord commanded Moses. Thanks very much for reading the passage for us. Um, if you do have your Bibles, keep them open at Leviticus 16. Well, um, one of the key verses in the book of Hebrews goes like this, chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Well, it's a call in the book of Hebrews to draw near, uh, to draw near, to find mercy and grace. And this idea of um, finding mercy and grace, I think at a deep level is what many of us are looking for. You think about the society we're living in, it's a society which lacks mercy and grace a society where it digs up decade-old statements or photos to use as ammunition to take others down, society that lacks forgiveness. But also on an individual level, we all have a conscience that tells us that we are wrong. I used to have a pet dog with my family. His name was Waggy. And every time he did something wrong, I say he put in the house, when we got home, we would see him there hiding under the table we would call him, he would not come because he knew he did something wrong. And so if my dog had a conscience telling him that he did something wrong, let alone as humans. And so if we don't suppress it and we are aware of our feelings, uh, we know that deep down we need mercy and grace. But here's the problem. 
Why should we be able to draw near? On what basis can we confidently draw near to God? See, last week in Leviticus 1 to 9, the issue was access. But this week, the stakes are much higher. It's not just access, but drawing near. It's one thing to be invited into someone's house, but it's another thing to get up close and personal with him. Or you think about the words that came out of your mouth this morning as you left home, or you left, uh, uh, you left the kitchen, or thoughts this morning as you joined your first meeting. See, the same mouth that speaks harsh words is the same mouth that says, dear God. So why? Why should we be able to draw near? Can we actually draw near to God? Well, let's see what God is saying to us today. Well, I've got a handout, um, a diagram uh, to kind of recap what we've been seeing so far. Uh, we've been starting, in, we, we went to Genesis, and the big thing that we saw in Genesis was that our plight is death. Uh, we've been cast out of God's presence, and it is death. Uh, so that's, if you like, you can draw an arrow to the right, uh, we are cast out into death. But in the book of Exodus, uh, we saw that we are rescued for, for life. And if you like, you can draw an arrow to the left uh, from death to life. I think it's the next slide. And in Leviticus 1 to 9, uh, what we saw was access. Uh, we can enter God's house through sacrifice and priests. Uh, that is access into God's house. And you can draw an arrow into the first section of the tent. But you see the thing about Leviticus 10, uh, it starts with a catastrophe. When you imagine picture, if you come to my house, I hand you a glass of red wine and the glass slips. It shatters into a million pieces. The red stains everywhere on you and on my new carpet. But you see the problem in Leviticus 10, it's not that there, uh, there is wine everywhere, but death, death is everywhere. See, Aaron's sons in Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu, they offer unauthorized fire, and fire comes out of the Lord and consumes them. Two dead bodies lying in the midst of God's house, defiling his home. And what's the problem? Oh, they've come too close. Look to chapter 16 of Leviticus, verse 1. Chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. You see the issue there? See, Aaron's sons, they drew near without permission. They offered unauthorized fire and they died. And so the final arrow is how do you go into the holy place? from inside the tent into the most holy place. Leviticus 10 to 16 is all about drawing near to God. How close can we come? Well, for starters, before you can come close, you first need to be clean. I need to clean the stains of death off you. 
So if you're following the handout, we are on point number one on clean and unclean. Well, the first thing to clarify about clean cleanliness is not about making sure you get the mark of your boots, off your wellies after a muddy walk, although there's some overlaps with that. And again, clean and unclean is not exactly what is sinful and not sinful, even though there are some overlaps. Uh, primarily, clean and unclean is ritualistic in nature. Uh, there's a table there in your handout, and it should also come up on the slide. And the key thing to notice is that the main distinction is between holy and common, between holy and common. And under common, you have clean and unclean. Uh, to move towards the left, uh, to become holy, the unclean cannot become holy, but must first be cleansed to become clean. Once an individual is clean, then they are fit to become holy as they are sanctified. And so you move towards the left through sacrifice. But to move towards the right, now when you profane, holy things become unclean or common, especially when they are polluted. And sin and sickness results in a movement towards the right. As for personnel, the priests, they are the ones that are holy, and that's why they can enter God's presence. But for Israel, they were meant to be clean. And so the laws that they received was meant to make them clean. And that leaves the Gentiles without the law unclean on the outside. And so the goal for Israel was for them to become a kingdom of priests. The whole nation was meant to move towards the left to become holy, priests to the whole world. But broadly speaking, that's how the clean and unclean system works. But also on the handout, I've also put the structure from Leviticus 11 to 15. You can see in chapter 11, it's about clean and unclean animals. Chapters 12 is about childbearing. Chapters 13 to 14 is about skin and surface conditions. And chapter 15 is about bodily discharge. And now's the time for the inaugural CGT clean and unclean quiz. So are you ready? Uh, those guys online, um, if you want to participate, you need to un uh, show your screen so we can kind of see your faces. Uh, this is a hand raising exercise. And so the plan is, um, I'm going to name something and I'll say if it's clean or unclean and you raise your hand if you think it's unclean, clean or unclean. Okay, are you ready? Okay, leprosy, is it clean? Show of hands. Unclean. There we go. Okay, well done. We'll start easy one. Childbearing, clean, unclean, very good. There we go, okay. Locust, clean or unclean? Clean, two cleans, unclean, most unclean. It's clean, locusts are clean, okay. Uh, a full English breakfast, clean or unclean? Clean, it's one clean, unclean? There you go, it's unclean. A locust is more clean than a full English breakfast. Shocking, I know. Because there's pork inside. I think the sausages, I guess. Uh, fish and chips, clean or unclean? Clean? Unclean? Fish and chips is clean. There you go. <laughs> Sunday roast, clean or unclean? Clean? Couple hands. Pete's got a half hand, Pete. Unclean? Sunday roast 
it's clean. Uh, you can enjoy your Sunday roast. Okay, here's the last one. Jellied eels. Clean on clean. Clean. Unclean. I mean, it's horrible anyway, right? Who wants to have jellied eels? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, jellied eels, they are unclean because uh, the eels, they have no fins and therefore they are unclean. And so do you notice um, the point is not what is sinful. Uh, you have childbearing, uh, you have period sex within marriage. All those are considered as unclean. And some of them simply just washing and you're just unclean for the evening and therefore you become clean after 24 hours. But here's the question. Uh, what is the logic? What moves one from being unclean to clean? And here's a basic distinction, a life and death. So for the animals which are birds or prey, or so animals that live in tombs or underground, uh, which represents death, uh, those animals tend to be unclean. Like leprosy, uh, that looks like death as your skin and your flesh are showing, uh, looks like death. Well, that's also regarded as unclean. So life and death, is a basic distinction between clean and unclean. But it also raises the question, what about childbearing? Uh, isn't childbearing about life? What about prawns and eels? Uh, what has that got to do with death? And perhaps a further distinction helps. Uh, you see the fall, uh, Genesis 3. You have the serpent, uh, the woman, and Adam. And if you like, you can write it next to the structure. So the serpent represents in chapter 11, the woman in chapter 12, and Adam in chapters 13 to 15. And so for the animals that are more like the serpent, those animals that share likeness with the serpent, they tend to be unclean. So think about eels with, with no fins. Um, they, they look like snakes, and therefore they are unclean. Uh, animals that are close to the ground, like snakes, like lizards, are also defined as unclean. See, childbearing is not sinful, but it reminds us of the fall, uh, the, the curses in Genesis 3. Uh, that's why uh, I think they are unclean. So here's to summarize what we've been seeing. Uh, the clean and unclean, they're not that random. It's not just arbitrary rules. There's a certain logic to it. See, if the fall is a movement away from the fall, anything that reminds you of the fall, like childbearing, the serpent, the snake, uh, that is unclean. And I think to realize as well, to draw near is not easy. It's harder to be clean than unclean. The direction of travel, uh, uncleanness is like COVID-19, it spreads like a virus. Uh, touching unclean things contaminates you and makes you unclean. Uh, to be clean, you need to sacrifice, you need to wash, and you need to quarantine. And that's why it's a huge surprise if you've read about Jesus in Mark's gospel, as he goes up to the leper and he touches him. Uh, immediately, the leper is, is clean. You see, Jesus, he reverses the direction of travel. Uh, his holiness, it contaminates the unclean. Okay, pull things together, what we've seen. The big thing that we've been talking about today is drawing near. And how do we draw near? Well, we need to be clean. Not being clean is dangerous. Go to chapter 15, verse 31. 15, verse 31. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, 
lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. You see, to draw near, one must be clean. Well, the thing is that in the narrative of Leviticus, things are still unclean. Remember, Nadab and Abihu, two dead bodies in God's house. Uh, the tabernacle is defiled. How do you clean the tabernacle? How do the people stay clean? And that's where we come to our second point. It's all about atonement. The Day of Atonement is the key event in Israel's calendar. And it's also, I want to suggest, is the central chapter of the Pentateuch. If you like, Genesis mirrors Deuteronomy, Exodus and Numbers, and Leviticus is right in the middle. And the Day of Atonement is the central chapter in the whole book of the whole Pentateuch. And so what happens in the Day of Atonement? Well, there are two types of offerings. You have offerings for the priest and also for the people. And the priests and the people, they both have two kinds of offerings, a sin and a burnt offering. And the priest, he needs to offer a sin offering before he can go in. So look to chapter 16, verse 11. 16, verse 11. Aaron shall present a bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil. One way you notice that Aaron is carrying a bowl of incense going on, and I don't think it's because the place smells. It's not as if he needs to spray some air freshener in the tabernacle. But the smoke coming from the incense, well, it acts like a bit of a, a veil or a smoke screen uh, to protect Aaron from seeing the glory of the Lord face to face. I look at verse 13. And to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat, on the east side, and in the front of the mercy seat shall he sprinkle some blood with his finger seven times. Do you notice the incense is like a cloud that protects Aaron? But also he sprinkles blood around the tabernacle. And last week we saw blood is like a detergent. It's a washing liquid to wash away death. And as Aaron, he sprinkles the blood, it's washing away death from the tabernacle. So already we have seen the Day of Atonement. It deals with a defiled tabernacle. Like wine remover, removing the stains of wine from my carpet, blood is needed to remove the stains of death. Well, how about the people? But what happens next, I think, is most interesting. Uh, it cleanses the people, and the sins are taken away. There are two goats for the people. Uh, the first is killed, and the second, look to verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all the transgression and their sin. He shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. 
the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. You see, the second goat is pictured as a substitute, uh, vicariously carrying the sins of the people away out of the camp to the wilderness. So that's the second way atonement helps. It helps to remove sin from the tent. Sin is taken away. As you see that goat is walking away, but the burden of sin is lifted. Thirdly, what does atonement do? Well, it appeases God. A burnt offering is, is offered, and burnt offering is not for sin, but to appease God. So atonement not only cleans God's house, it cleans the people, and it also pleases God. Go to chapter 16, verse 32. Chapter 16, verse 32. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and make atonement for the priest and all the people of the assembly. You see, atonement, it works. Every year, as sin is accumulated, and it pollutes the camp. I think of it like a, a thick smog uh, that covers the ground and creeps up on the tent, the tabernacle. The idolatry, the law-breaking, the uncleanness, it accumulates and it, uh, it pollutes the people and it defiles God's house. It puts this whole fragile arrangement with God dwelling with his people at risk. But what does Day Atonement do? It reverses the trend. It washes and all the uncleanness out of the tent, pushing the sin away as the goat walks into the wilderness. So once a year, all the sin, like a washing liquid, is washing all the pollution away. And so only with atonement can we be cleansed and draw near. How can we draw near? Well, it's only through atonement. Well, it's, it's true in the New Testament, uh, we don't sacrifice bulls and goats. But it's important to recognize that, what, that this was designed to work for the nation of Israel. Verse 30, it says, you shall be cleansed before the Lord from all your sin. It was designed to work. So the concept is not flawed. It can deal with sin. The difference between what happened in Leviticus and the New Testament as a sacrifice, the concept is the same. And let's be absolutely clear that the mechanism of atonement is entirely God-given. It's grace. You see, this complex arrangement is not first and foremost troublesome. It is grace. See, it's a God-given means for sinful people to dwell with a holy God. He allows for the animal to take the sin of the people. He allows for the substitute. The atonement is all about grace. And because it is a God-given way, uh, it is the only way in. No music experience, no worship leader, no self-meditation can take you in. Only atonement allows you to draw near to God. 
but because it's God-given, uh, therefore the people can come with confidence. You see, for Israel, as they see the second God walking away into the wilderness, taking the sin that was laid on him away from the camp, that gives them confidence that they can come near to God. But if they could be confident with the blood of bulls and goats, what more the blood of Jesus? See, Hebrews 9 verse 13 says, For if the blood of goats and bulls sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ purify a conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, that is why we can draw near with confidence. In a society that is in need of mercy and grace, when we feel the burden of our conscience, when we feel the full weight of our sins, the solution is not to suppress the feeling, is not to ignore the guilt, but to draw near, but to draw near because of the atonement paid by God himself, not from you, but by God himself, paid by the Son of God, his blood for your sins and mine. So there's every reason to draw near for mercy and grace. Well, verse as we close our time, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need.